Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Director Deborah Anderson's Women of the White Buffalo takes a comprehensive look at the ancient, native, and matriarchal Lakota Nation, a community that has been upended by centuries of genocide and colonialism. This sustained assault has resulted in a culturally sabotaged and isolated people that are in a constant struggle to save what remains of their sacred identity. Again, the film is called Women of the White Buffalo. We're joined today by Deborah Anderson, the director of the film. And let me just say before we start our conversation with Deborah, that this is a beautifully rendered, comprehensive look at some of the things we've come to know have been struggles for Native Americans, but so much more in in such a comprehensive and well-rounded way. With that, I'd like to welcome to the program, Deborah Anderson. Deborah, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. As I said in the introduction, the film tells the depth and the breadth of the challenges facing the Lakota Nation. And it's done in such a beautiful way. And it's told through the stories of a number of different individuals who take ownership of particular parts of the whole story of the Lakota people. Let's talk about what inspired you to make Women of the White Buffalo. Yes, well, thank you, firstly, for the encouragement, because, you know, you make a film about people that you're not related to in the sense that I'm not Lakota. And I think there was a lot of inquiry as to why is this woman who is not part of our tribe making a film about us? The, the, the beginnings of this really came by an opportunity to show my photography with the Leica gallery in Los Angeles and they asked me what would I show as my first show with them and I really wanted to bring a whole new body of work as a as a photographer to that platform because I knew that the Leica holds this immense uh, history when it comes to storytelling by way of photography so I was living in Idlewild up in the mountains in California and I would drive past this Indian reservation called Santa Rosa And I never understood that we are constantly surrounded by these indigenous peoples that in some way are sort of like ghosts living amongst us. We don't see them on the front covers of these magazines or the news or uh, are privy to what is really truly happening in Indian country. And so when I did my research, immediately Googling Native American Indian woman, what came back to me was the enormity of the murdered and missing indigenous numbers that are not being counted and yet they are the number one trafficked community here in america the native american indian women are the most trafficked women here in the states and globally recognizing that all indigenous peoples are really having to struggle with being seen and having their their voices heard and so again it's something that i wasn't prepared for and when i did my homework and saw really what was happening on the reservations, especially in America, I was blown away at the lack of uh, understanding. And I thought, okay, how can I best, I have my dog. But yes, it was that, that moment that you're like, wow, the enormity is there. How does one speak to that that isn't uh, a part of a community? And so I reached out to a friend who knew Kamiko Hayashi, who has been going 
to the reservation. She's our cinematographer on the film and she had connections with some of the Lakota people. So I spoke with her and she put me in touch with Carol Einrope Herrera, who is in the film, one of the elders that speaks so clearly about her tasks and what she has been trying to do to have the, the people remember who they are. So when I called her and said, I, I feel that I am meant to come and document these stories. And, you know, you have to be invited in. There isn't just a showing up on the reservation with your camera. And you have to be invited in by somebody really who's connected in a, in a, in a way that could help parlay these stories and bring in other women that would want to speak because they are revered in their community. So how I landed immediately really with this matriarch, this woman who is revered and, and has been working with the communities now for years and years, uh, was a blessing because she immediately, in speaking to me within 10 minutes of me giving her my bio, like I've done this and I've worked, she was like, okay, very good. So when are you coming? We've been waiting for you. And I was just like shocked that they had been praying that someone would care enough to want to come in and hear their stories and share them with the world. So that was really the beginnings of the journey. And within a month, I was gifted the opportunity to go by way of Laker Singh, who donated the first funds to support the making of this film. And the film was made purely by way of donation. I have no big company behind me, no big production company, no Netflix or whatever it may be. It was very much a, a film made for the people by the people because they understood the enormity of this, this problem that nobody's really speaking to. So it's taken four years to make the film. Because of COVID, there was a two-year lapse. I had actually finished the film after two years of, of being with them and, and, and editing. And because of COVID, I wanted to wait because the climate really was speaking to COVID and really the politics that were going on around uh, the planet, you know, what was, what, was, what was happening with our government here in, in the United States. And I just knew it didn't have the space yet to be a, a, a moment that people would actually stop and listen. And then slowly you start seeing the New York Times and all these various uh, big media groups speaking about the murdered missing indigenous women, along with the boarding schools where they found all the remains of all the children. And so I started to notice this. It's almost like in the zeitgeist, you know, it's like things are now being spoken about. So there clearly is this space that's being created to hear what is happening. And so Women of the White Buffalo really couldn't have come at a better time for me as a filmmaker and for the people that are in the film. I think that ultimately, now that I, I reflect back on, on this journey, I never would have thought that I would end up spending the, the, the next four years of my life living with these people. I went back several times during COVID on my own and recorded new stories and just listened to where they were at because of the pandemic. So the, the feeling of the film was really about telling the history so you have a, a deep understanding of how did they get here now? And then what are they doing with the circumstances that they find themselves in now? And I remember Carol Einrup Herrera said to me, this film is not just for the non-Indigenous people. This film is for us as well. And I didn't comprehend the enormity of even that. So I knew that by way of making this film, it really had to be their voice, that it wasn't my voice. So I really gave that platform to them. So when I was 
making the edits, the first initial edits of the film a couple of years ago, before we kind of did a, a standstill during COVID, I kept taking the film back to them and I would play them in groups with the women who were in the film and to Carol. And she held my hand. She would call me every week. How's it going? And every time she called, I thought I'd done something wrong. I was in this panic of like, oh my God, what have we done? And she's like, no, no, just checking in. And she would then be in prayer with me. She would tell me some of the stories that she had been told when she was growing up by way of her own parents and her grandparents when they were alive. And she really gave me so much insight as to what it is to live amongst this community. So in, in many ways, when you watch the film, there is a spirit that I think lives in this, in this film that's beyond being a filmmaker. It's beyond just grabbing farming stories and making a film and then leaving and then just showing the world, oh, this is what I saw. It was really held by them. So there was anything in there that didn't make sense or they felt wasn't really the truth. I had a chance to change it by way of listening to their ways. So there is a frequency in this film that I believe is a quite is a tangible feeling when you watch it that you really get drawn into their landscape, their ceremony, their prayer. The music was created around music that I had recorded when we were there with the the, the singers that sing in ceremony. One of the women who's actually in the film, Naomi is one of the singers. She brought in her uh, group of singers and they sing at all the different powwows and the different uh, sun dances during the summer season. And then Delacina Chief Eagle sings with my father at the end of the film. They did a duet. And, you know, all these pieces were really a part of the, the greater jigsaw puzzle of how do I put this film together and bring a beauty that I can see still exists in a in a in a massive uh way you know when you go and you you live amongst them and you get to be in ceremony with them and you go to the powwows and you watch the sun dance there is a spirit that is very much alive so my job was to bring that into the film so visually you get this seascape of energy musically you hear that as well and then the story which is a very hard story to hear just humanly no matter who you are and what, you know, background you come from, what creed, what race, what religion, just humanly to hear the despair, to hear of the loss, to hear of this continued genocide of these peoples, it was very, very hard for me to hold all that energy alone. So I really did lean on the community to guide me and especially Caroline Pereira. I was very open to receiving that medicine so that this film really carried that. So as so many people said, well, how are you going to tell a story of 535 years of genocide and make it something that people will sit in their seat for 86 minutes and want to watch? And I said, you show them the beauty of who they really are. And so I think that's part of the medicine of this piece. It's not just, here's a story, this is what's happening deal with it and let's do something about it. It was more a case of sit in your seat, be in this in, in this energetic field, because I was and continue to be in their energetic field. And as they say in the in the film, once you are on Lakota territory, you're no longer in the United States. You are in that land of the native energy field and you feel it. It's a tangible thing when you walk onto their land you really do step into a history and you feel 
not just the <clears throat> desperation and the hardship that they continue to endure, you feel their spirit and the power of who they really are as Lakota people. And you, you get a sense of their endurance because no matter what it looks like visually, as far as sitting in their trailers, recognizing they don't barely have anything, some are living in their living room and there's 12 people living in a two bedroom trailer house, you see their spirit. And, and the laughter and their sense of humor, which is just amazing. You know, once you understand their languaging, they are incredible people. And I felt truly blessed that they opened up their doors in the, in the way that they did, because normally how it works is you have to spend years getting to be, you know, within their community, getting to, to be trusted and accepted. However, because of Carol Einrup Herrera's immediacy of like, this is a now, because our children are forgetting who they are and they don't care. And that to her was what she could foresee as being the demise of the people. Because if the kids don't care, when we speak about the future of these peoples, then they're in trouble. And that we know that their language is, is, is going and we know that the language holds a frequency, a healing frequency. And now we know that there are only 2,000 people that speak the Lakota language. And there are 100,000 uh, Lakota people here in America. For 2,000 to only be speaking their language, we know there's a problem. So many, many different facets of the pieces that came together to create this film really came by way of spirit. You know, they it was like Carol led the way and I listened and I followed. And when she was finally in her last week of being on this planet because she passed away. She called me up and I knew something was different in her voice. And she said to me, Deborah, you did it right. You did it right. Uh-huh. And then she passed a week later. Sorry, it still, it still touches me that she really did hold me accountable as well, you know, accountable. She said, I know, I know this is a big journey for you. Stay humble stay humble because they are humble people. So really you sort of dive into the energy of these people as a filmmaker and you have to just listen. And I think that the film works because I really listened and it wasn't about me at all. It was about bringing all your skills, bring in your team. We had a very small team and just listen. And if you listen in the right way, you'll be able to create something that truly is a resonance to who they really are and not just, oh, here's a, a, a fantasy piece because I got you know, access to a reservation. You, you know that that isn't how anybody should do anything when we're speaking to such ancient culture. There is a reverence that needs to be upheld as you are gifted the opportunity to hear their stories and sit in their homes. So that that's the long and short of how I got here <laughs> in the film. And it's something that I, I don't think I would have thought through, but seeing it in the film that Indian culture is, is very much matriarchal. If I'm saying this incorrectly, but this is something, <laughs> the tradition of women and the place they hold in native American society or culture is extremely valued. It's the the society or route the society itself has been so degraded by outside forces. So all of these things become increasingly more difficult. Just everything about their their lives 
is a challenge way beyond anything that is reasonable, right? Living, making a living, getting an education, not ending up in jail, not being trafficked. All of these things are become, but, and I, I, I don't want to focus on all the negative, but the statistics are undeniable. The decimation of Native Americans over the last hundreds of years, however, since the, since the European settlers landed, since Columbus landed in 1492, is a genocide by any standards. It's, there's no other way to put it right? Reasonably to say Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. been a genocide. Mm -hmm. And the fact, the fact is that we on the outside of these cultures are are aware of it. We know in broad terms what has happened to them. And I don't think many people knew, and I'm glad it's in the film, about how they were killed off when, by the killing of the buffalo. That was a means to just to essentially affect genocide. And I begin, I'm, I'm I'm talking about this because it's it's not just this is where we are. It's also about how we got here, and Absolutely. and so I, I'm so glad that you did such a great job of delivering all of these these messages and the energy you're talking about comes through in the film, the women that you have speaking to these different issues, but the sexual abuse, the trafficking, the alcoholism, the incarceration, all of these things are parts of something that are undeniable and yet on on the outside looking in there's no will there's no true concerted effort to affect positive change outside of of these societies of these mm-hmm. cultures right i just want to let people know the film is called women of the white buffalo and we are talking with the director deborah anderson but go ahead please yeah i mean you know what's interesting to me is that we're still living in a time of separation when we speak about the patriarch and we speak about how this planet is really operated, it isn't about the indigenous peoples at all. When we speak about the modern, the modern world that we live in, it's so disconnected from who we really are. Yeah. Regardless, again, I go back to regardless of race and culture and, and color of our skin and, and religion, we're now connected through our cell phones and and through our computers and we don't communicate with the earth yet she is suffering and that was something that i was very aware of in going in that these peoples hold that language so if we continue to destroy our indigenous peoples that know how to communicate with mother earth we don't stand a chance and i say we i am indigenous Clearly, I know you can see me here on, on camera. I am from the Caribbean islands. So my lineage is Indian native to the Caribbean, which, you know, we have the Arawak Indians Columbus first met when he arrived, the Carib Indians, the Taino Indians. There are many different tribes that occupied the Caribbean islands. And as we know, Barbados was the capital of slavery. So a lot of the West African Slaves were brought through Barbados and then infiltrated out into the Americas. And I grew up in Barbados. So I'm aware of these things as a part of my growing up, yet that isn't something we were taught in school. So we weren't given the understanding of of who we really are as indigenous peoples or our connection to Mother Earth. You know, that is the, the biggest issue right there is like, if we don't understand her, then how are we expected to heal her? 
And being with these indigenous peoples, and we speak about their ceremony was illegal until 1978 here in America. So they couldn't practice their ways. And when we look at the, you know, we think about the natives when they dance, we speak of the, 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 the Indian dancing with the feathered headdress and doing the chicken dance. They were emulating and continue to emulate because I have been privy to these ceremonies that still continue. They're emulating the winged ones, the four-legged and mother earth, their connection. It's the most beautiful thing you will ever witness because again, it's, it, it creates this, um, frequency of connection and when they sing their songs and you hear that drum it's the heartbeat it's the heartbeat of mother earth and so all of that is something that is absolutely being pushed aside for this modern living experience that we're all suffering in our food is not clean our waters are completely destroyed because we are not living in the true ways that we should be and so if anything, creating this film and meeting with these women, they, they continue to speak about their ways and it is in their DNA. It is in their bloodline. They have this, this understanding that, you know, those who are outside of these indigenous cu cultures have no idea. And so this is really the suffering of, of this planet. And so if there was anything that I could say as an offering with this film is the wake up call yeah. to this big, re the remembrance, you know, this big giant gaping hole in our understanding of who we really are and our sovereignty to the land. And there's a lot of talk in the film about sovereignty to the land because they are not sovereign. That's right. It used to be. That's right. So we talk about the, the continued genocide by putting these people in jail and, and other atrocities that continue because of the meth addiction, the alcoholism. And where did this all come from? It was not from their people. Yes, the natives had their own way of survival for you know thousands of years. They weren't perfect. They weren't living in harmony. There was definitely, this is my land. I want this. I'll take that woman. I'll take that buffalo. Yes, the human experience has definitely been something that we're all privy to for thousands of years. However, they were sovereign to the land they knew how much buffalo to kill and it would be just enough and they would use every part of the buffalo in order to survive throughout the winter seasons and we're talking about over five okay we're talking about over 800 tribes here in america right 548 something like that are recognized here in America. Right. And so there are several hundred still waiting for recognition. So we're talking about nearly, let's just say for sake of argument, 700 tribes, 700 languages, 700 ways of being here just in America alone. And if you ask anybody, name me, name me 10 tribes, they'll probably jump into Navajo, Cherokee, Lakota, and then they get stuck. There are 700 tribes here in America that we are not connected to. And that really is Beyond, I mean, you know, I see such a, a small word to say it's a shame, but really it is such a shame because we are in so much trouble humanly. And so for me to be able to bring awareness by way of this film, Women of the White Buffalo, as Carol said, it's for their people as well. I've noticed now since the film's been out for a couple of weeks, they're starting to play it in the classrooms in South Dakota. They're wanting the children to see these messages because the elders speak in this film and they remind us that it begins with us. If we don't make that change within ourselves, then we're just lost. End of story. We can't expect somebody else to fix it. We have to fix ourselves, which really is we have to take that deeper look within ourselves and see what is our footprint 
what is it what is it that we're doing to support the communities around us right. because in the continued way in which we are living right now we are really heading for a bigger disaster than i think we even want to imagine but it's been spoken about for a very long time and i really understood by being with these people and listening to their songs and being brought in as a relative to listen to their history and their stories it's very much alive and it needs to be supported and we need to really take responsibility by way of of caring and that that's really what my wish is for this film is that people will be moved to action yeah just in the last minute i've got with you i, I do want to Absolutely. Everything you said is so true and so relevant. And just what you're saying about our our inability to understand the scope of the issues that are facing us and knowing full well, as you see in the film, the people who are most capable of managing and enriching the land are the ones that are the most marginalized. We're not going to be saved by Monsanto or Dow Chemical or Georgia Pacific, or it, that's not, they're not going to save us. The people, indigenous people understand the relationship we as human beings have to land. And I'll give you an example. I'll give our audience an example of just what happens on a massive scale, going back to the time of the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl. People speak of the Dust Bowl, right? Well, this was the land that where Native Americans were, were forced off of over the course of the migration of, of settlers west. And in a very, very short period of time, it went from the richest soil, maybe in the world, but certainly in, the, in North America, to within a matter of a couple of generations to the most depleted soil, because those people did not understand the relationship to the earth. Absolutely. So we that's that's this is what we need to remember. And we need to see that this is a way forward because what you said is coming. It's just now a matter of managing how bad it will be. We need to put people in charge of helping us get through this who know what they're doing. That's right. And I think it's the responsibility as an artist to create story that allows people to see the truth and gift them an opportunity to stand up and be a part of the change. And I think there's no way that I could have said, you know, four years ago that I would be sitting here. I never knew because there's that moment that you're like, oh yes, I'll try and make a film about this subject. And then there's that piece of, I am part of that subject, that I am part of this bigger story, that it is my responsibility to share these stories so that we can all become reconnected with one another so that we can each hold one another accountable for that greater change. So this was never a political film. I didn't set out to make a political film. I set out to make a conscious film that really is driven by spirit and the reminders of these great people throughout the way in which they speak in the film is prevalent. They, throughout the whole film, speak about what one can do. Yes. Right. Because someone said to me, but where's the hope? I'm like, well, you're not listening. Yeah. Like, it, it's throughout the film. They speak to all these different things. It's so, to me, inspiring. I don't think I made a film that is depressing. I think it's filled with hope. Yeah. And the reality is not 
something to be joyful about that we know yet just to have a better understanding of history and in this film I think we did a pretty good job of, of giving you an understanding of how did we get here and we also give you an understanding of now what do we do with that right. and there is no big red button that you press and everything will be great you know there is no you know with most films you know an arc and and then the ending gives you some some feeling of joy no we're talking about a reality here that it is a wake-up call for us to to move into action and by way of these stories these shared stories we have women from the age of eight until the age of 98 and by way of them each speaking to their expertise as what it is to be in their shoes at this given time it creates the whole picture and that was something I was told at the beginning, the best way to do that is not just to meet one woman and follow her around, it's to meet all these different age groups with all different positions in their community. And then bringing that together, they are all sharing the same story. Yeah. Because really, even though Jules Richards speaks about the meth addiction, because that is really what she is connected to deeply with her Mothers Against Meth Alliance, we also know that that affects Tata, who is the young girl who's nine years of age when we shot her, or eight years of age when we shot her, because her mother was a meth addict. Right. So we know that it's all connected. And as they say in Lakota, Mitakyo Yayasin, we are all related. We are all connected. We are all one. This really is the essence of this film is yeah. that it is about, it's not them over there. It's not those people in the reservation. It's not them Lakotas, it's all of us. And I believe that what we witness on the Rosebud and the Pine Ridge Reservation by way of this film is a microcosm, is a mirror to the rest of the world. Beautifully said. Thank you so much for Women of the White Buffalo. And it is, it is a, all the things you said and more, and, and we relate to stories. We, as human beings, to hear a story told to us by someone of the depth and breadth of the people that you have in the film is very effective. Mm -hmm. And uh, identifying the issues and talking about them honestly, but also there is a path forward for us as a species, but we have to listen to the right people and we have to act on their hundreds and hundreds of years of understanding of what we can do, how we can repair earth, the earth, and how we can 800, 700 tribes living in a measure of harmony that we have not achieved here. And that's something else that we can learn from all of this. So Deborah Anderson, thank you so very much for your time. Thank you so much for the film, Women of the White Buffalo. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music